You see, what we're going to see today as we continue to lean into who we are and look at our identity, we're going to see this, that you and I had a broken, fractured relationship with God, and there was nothing that we could do to fix it, to repair it. And instead, this miraculous thing happens. He, come and he comes and he does it on our behalf. Reconciliation and repair of a relationship with God looks vastly different than it does for us. And we get to glory and hope in that. This fall, our focus is really on who we are. We've been talking about this over the coming weeks. We're really going to be looking at who we are and forming and shaping and seeing our identity as believers, not only individually, but corporately together as a body. We're going to see who we are in relationship to God, in relationship to one another, and in relationship to the world. If you were here last week, we began by talking about who we are in relationship to God. We're going to continue in that for a couple of weeks. Last week, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, specifically verses 9 and 10, and seeing that we are His, that we are God's possession, that we belong to Him. Today, we're going to see this truth about our identity, about who we are in relationship to God. It's this, we are reconciled to God. This is who we are. We are reconciled to God. As we look into Romans chapter 5 today, we're going to look at verses 6 through 11, and in this pivotal passage in which Paul writes to the Christians in Rome at this time, he's going to elucidate in detail and help us see three very distinct things within the context of these verses. Number one, we're going to get this amazing picture of who we were. We're also going to get a very clear picture of who now in Christ we actually are, what our identity is, who we are. And third, we're going to get the, the, the picture and the understanding of how it happened. How did this thing happen? How did this come to be? How did we get to be reconciled to God? If I have a broken relationship with God, how, how is that repaired? How is that restored? We're going to see these three things today. If you will, walk with me into Romans chapter 5, and let's look at verses 6 through 11. Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 6, says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more... Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord to which we say together. Thanks be to God. One of the first things we get in this passage, as Paul writes, and if you, if you know the book of Romans and you've read much of it, the first three chapters, you get this really broad but detailed picture of, of humanity's rebellion against God. The fact that we are all sinners, that we've all fallen short of God's glory. In Romans 4, you get this picture of, of the righteousness of God and that righteousness comes by faith. And in chapter 5, Paul's walking these believers through an understanding of exactly how this righteousness comes to be. And how Christ has done it all. 
It's a setup, it's a picture of the new Adam, the new humanity that Jesus brings. And in verses 6 through 11, we get this picture of who we were. I don't know about you, but details really help us to understand things. I know they do for me. Um, I don't know if you've ever like, had a conversation with someone, and I don't even just mean a conversation in passing, but a conversation that was meant to be intentional, and it just kind of didn't go anywhere because you just never got any details. If I asked you this morning, came up to you and said, how are you doing? I bet you would say, doing good. Doing fine, right? Any of you have had children, uh, you, know, you have this conversation with them, at least we do in our home, every single day. How was school? It was good. What did you do? You know. What was your favorite part of the day? I don't know. Do you exist? Right? Like they'll tell us lunch was the best part of the day, and then we open the lunchbox and they didn't eat it. So somebody's feeding our kids something, I guess. I don't know. There's no detail, no, no real picture, no clarity, no elucidation, no description of what is actually taking place. There's no real picture. There's nothing to see. There's this movie I love called Office Space. Has anybody seen this movie? Office Space is just this, um, it's this, it's this satire, it's this movie, it's this picture of, of the work life of this typical like 1990s software company. And it focuses on this group of individuals and just how sad they are about their job. And just how boring and terrible their job is. It really focuses on this one character. His name is Peter Gibbons. And Peter is passionate about two things. Number one, he's passionate about how much he hates his job. And number two, he's passionate about doing absolutely nothing. Like that's his dream. That's his goal. This guy wants to do nothing. He goes in and he works in this office every day. And something happens in the life of Inatech, the company they work for. There's these two guys that come in, and they're consultants that are coming in to meet with individuals at the company. Well, these guys that Peter works with and these friends with are wise to this, and they understand these guys aren't coming in to just check on us. This is like layoffs. They're coming in to figure out who's working and who's not, who's doing a good job and who's not. And all of these people come in, and they sit in these interviews and they just give these short answers. And Peter comes in, and he begins to tell them about his day. And he says, look, I come in, and I come in about 15 minutes late. You know, I enter through the side door, so my boss doesn't see me. And then I get to my desk, and for about an hour, I space out. And the Bob's asking, well, what, is, what does it mean to space out? Well, he's like, well, I just kind of sort of stare at my desk, and I stare off into space. And I do that, and then I go to lunch, and here's where I go to lunch, and here's what I do. And he gives this beautiful picture to help you totally, completely, and fully understand just how much he hates this job and just how much he loves to think about doing nothing. I think so much of our life is missed because we don't see the details. You know, you and I sometimes read the scriptures. And when I say you and I, I put a heavy emphasis on, on me, okay? There are times when I read the scriptures 
And I, I ingested the words. Uh, there's a comprehension to some degree, but I don't really grasp the gravity of what's happening before me. I fail to see the details. God's word is not short of details. And in this moment, we find out just who we were apart from Christ by the way Paul talks about us. And not just our, our character, but where we've come from. There are four distinct words that Paul uses in this group of verses that help us understand who we were. Because when we talk about ourselves apart from Christ, often we just say that we were sinners. And we might not even know what fully that means. Or we might just say, I, you know, I was bad, I wasn't good. We speak in these generalities, but Paul brings it home because he wants us to see just how far we were from grace. Just how broken we were. And he does it with this detail. He calls those who are apart from Christ four things. Weak, ungodly, sinners, and enemies. Look at these verses again. Verse 6, still weak, ungodly. Verse 8, God shows his love for us while we are still sinners. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies. So Paul's being very, very clear about who we are apart from Christ. When he says that, that we're weak, he's using language that describes someone that, that we would likely call an, an invalid, someone that is unable to, to move. They're depleted of any ability or energy and don't have the power to move. It's a state of being sick. When he talks about us being ungodly, this is not just bad behavior. This is actually the opposite of someone who has respect toward God. And this is not disrespectful for a moment, but it's a state of being. It's someone who has no awe of God, no reverence of God. Now hear me, this is not ignorance of God. This is not an un, a lack of understanding about who God is. It's actually a very active thing. It's an active dismissal of God's goodness. It's actually treating God with contempt. When Paul says that we're sinners, he says that we're depraved, that we are markedly, unabashedly separate from God, in no way, shape, or form having ability to be connected to him because of the things that we have done and the ways in which we have lived. And then finally, this powerful language of enemies is used. Paul's saying effectively that we're at war with God. And God didn't start the war. We did. We're hostile toward God in mind. That's who we were apart from Christ. And the detail is really important. You and I were not just bad. You and I were not just missing the mark and a little off track. We were weak. Sick broken, with no ability to connect to the living God. We were ungodly. We were irreverent. We were sinners. We're completely separate from him. That's who we were. And we were enemies of God. In our rebellion, in our attitude, and in our actions, we actively resist him and his authority. That's who we were apart from Christ. 
Thanks be to God, we see this truth in these scriptures. We, if we're in Christ, are reconciled to God. You and I are reconciled to God. That is your identity. That is my identity. That is who we are. We are reconciled to God. That brokenness is broken no more. One of the things that you're going to see throughout Romans and a number of Paul's writings is this judicial language, this legal language. You'll see so many phrases in which Paul talks about being made righteous and what it looks like to live a life that is in concert with God's law. The law which Jesus has fulfilled, by the way. There's all this language of justification in this kind of courtroom manner that now we've been made right with God. This is helpful. It's beautiful. It's really helpful language, not only for those who existed in Rome then, but people who exist here now. We can understand those things. To be justified means to be made right. But in this passage, Paul moves from this legal language, this law language, to something very different. He moves to a relational language. Now he's gone from justification to this word that's going to be repeated three times in the latter portion of this passage. Reconciliation. 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 This is not legal language. This is personal language. This is relational language. To be reconciled means this. It means to be brought together. It means to be brought together. In some ways, it's as simple as that. It means to be conjoined. It means to make peace between hostile parties. It means people who are at odds with one another are now together. All of those things that we were and being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ have now changed. Do you know who you are now? You're not weak. You're strong. Why? Because his power is perfected in your weakness. You are not ungodly. You are godly. You are someone in Christ who has reverence and recognition of the grandeur and the greatness of God. That he would pursue you and love you and come after you. And the one who created all things has a relationship with you. Because he's loved you and given himself for you. You're no longer a sinner, but you're regarded as righteous. Why? Because one died for all, therefore all have died. And now... Your righteousness is found truly in the life, work, the death, the resurrection, the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Your righteousness is found in Him because you bear Him. And finally, you're no longer an enemy of God. You're a friend of God. The details matter. They're important. We tell people constantly, especially those we love, things about them. Things that we long for them to remember. Things that we long for them to be assured of when they don't seem so sure themselves. Things like, you're beautiful. 
things like you're intelligent, things like you're funny, things that we don't just say to lift someone's spirits. We say to remind them who they really are. Do you know that this is who you are? Because we regard ourselves, I think, in this way. I'm a Christian, right? We say, I'm a Christian. I don't think it's a bad answer. It's not at all. It's a little bit, at times, like saying, yeah, it's a good day. I'm fine. How are you? Do you know who you are? Not only are you his, not only do you belong to him, but you're reconciled to him. And that comes with a variety of these crazy, massive implications. That you're not weak anymore. You're strong. You're not ungodly. You are godly. You're not a sinner anymore. You're righteous. And then truly this. You're a friend of God. John's gospel, Jesus would say, in this way, I no longer call you slaves. I call you friends. The Son of God has called you friend. That is who you are. It is vital that we remind each other that this is the case, that this is who you are. And if that's real, if you were weak and you were ungodly, and you were separated from God as a sinner. And you were his enemy. And now who you are is someone who is strong through his power. You're godly in your reverence and respect. And your recognition of his greatness and his glory and his love. You're someone who, though still struggling with sin, is not regarded as sinner. But instead bears the righteousness of Christ because he's given himself for you, and now you're one who's a friend of God. How in the world do those two things happen? How do you move from point A to point B? How do you go from what Paul would call in Colossians, right, this, this place of darkness to this place of righteousness? How does that happen? Here's how it happened. God pursued you. God pursued you, came after you, and rescued you through Jesus. Do you know what the connotation of weakness is that Paul's trying to, to describe here? This is what he's saying. You couldn't move toward him. You were weak. You couldn't move. You couldn't do it. Even just right now, two people I love in this room, we got we got folks wearing slings, folks that have just been through a surgery, right? There's, there's others in here that have walked through medical illnesses, things that we've walked through. You ever been in a position where you were just weak and you just couldn't? You couldn't move the wrist. You couldn't move your neck. You couldn't move your arm. You couldn't lift your head or your leg. You couldn't do the thing that you needed to do to live because you were too weak. We've never been able to move toward him. Never. Ever. And yet he 
came to us. We had no reverence for him, and yet he loved us. We were rebellious, and we were separate from him, and yet he loved us. And God ends the war that we started by giving his son for us so that we might have life with him. It's come through Jesus. We didn't do anything at all. Look at verse 10. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. That's the only way. The only way you and I can have a relationship with God is, tr- is truly through the death of Jesus. Much more, he says, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So this is the beautiful thing that Paul's describing. It's not only just that we were reconciled, It's not just that that reconciliation means that we will be saved at this point in the future, but also we've received it right now. There's a past, present, and future implication of this reconciliation. It's all done. It's all accomplished. It's all ours because of what Jesus has done for us in his death on the cross. So when we say and we sing together, I plead the blood, that is all we have. That is it. It is the means through which we've been restored and reconciled to God. It is the means by which you and I are in relationship with him now. And it is the means by which we will be, as Paul writes here in this moment, fully and completely saved, glorified with him. New heaven, new earth, us a part of it, walking with God. It is only through the blood of the cross. This is how reconciliation has happened. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 21. You're going to see this word, this message of reconciliation again and again. Paul writes, he says, For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who might live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ, look at this, reconciled us to himself. And then now look at this implication. This is what happens as a result. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does this mean? It means that through the cross... Through Jesus' perfect atoning sacrifice for you and I, we've been fully reconciled to God, and now we have a job. 
But I would share this with you. It's more than a job. It's actually a joy that you and I have been given to go and share with others that they too can be reconciled to God. Listen, man, I, I love I love all the, like, I'm not a big dress-up person, right? But, like, I, any holiday that's based around candy, I'm in support of, okay? I'm so thankful that we're going to have a fall festival, and we're going to have an opportunity to connect with people and serve our community. You know what the main goal of that is? To beg people, to implore them to be reconciled to God. Now, when they come over to where I'm standing and we do like a fish game or we do Plinko, I'm not going to scream at them, be reconciled to God. That's not what it's going to look like. But that's what, that's event, that's what that event is for. It's to help people see we long for you to be reconciled to God. We want you to be a part of God's family. We want you to be connected to the Lord. And this is why, because we know who we were. We know who we were when we were not reconciled to him. Now we know who we are. We are reconciled to him. And we have the opportunity to profess and to say that I didn't do this. I didn't remake me. I didn't make me a new creation. God did this because he loved us so much that he gave his son. Not for a bunch of good folks, but for people who are weak and ungodly, separate, holy other, distant sinners. Those who are enemies are now friends. You and I have this beautiful opportunity to implore others and ask them to be reconciled to God. We're going to sing together in a moment, and we're going to have the opportunity to really reflect and do it in this way. We're going to sing with a real sense of, we don't bring anything to the table. I love you. You are beautiful. You're amazing. You're incredible people created in God's image. And you're kind, and you're sweet, and, and you're my brothers and sisters. But everything that's good about you is because of him. Every single thing. Every single thing. And that's for all of us. I, I can't bring anything to the table. I can't offer anything. But here's what I know. When I was dead in my trespasses and sins, when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, God reconciled us to himself through Jesus' sacrificial atoning death on the cross for you and me. And the life that you and I now live is a life that is not just based on, but is found in, fully found in the resurrection of Jesus. We live in his resurrection, eternal life. Man, that's something to be joyous about. You got all kinds of people in your life telling you who you are. All kinds of different voices telling you what you look like and, and what characterizes you and the best things about you and the worst things about you and, and what you need to change and what you need to shape. And, and you've got ideas about yourself, about what you want to be and where you want to be and how that's different from where it is now. But you need to know this. This is your identity. That you are reconciled to God.
And that ought to make you say hallelujah. That ought to make you and I jump for joy. In a world that's so obsessed with identity, we've been given one, not only one that we don't deserve, but that's more immaculate and more incredible than we could even describe. God has loved us fully, and he has reconciled us to himself. Let's be the kind of people that tell others about that love in detail so that they can experience reconciliation with him too. If you will, stand and pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we were once those who were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. You have now reconciled us to you the death of your son. We were once far off, but now we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Father, this morning, as a people, as a church, as a body, my prayer is that you would remind us of who we are. That we are reconciled to you that we are at peace with you, that we have relationship with you. Of all the things that can be said about us, none is more true than this. We are reconciled to you in Jesus. Father, second, I pray that you would cause us to be those who long to see others reconciled to you as well who in detail share the story of what you've done for us so that others can experience friendship with you. God, you are worthy of all praise, thanks, every ounce of gratitude that we have. And so now we sing to you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.